You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Well, I wonder if uh, in your life, and I'm speaking here to those that would call themselves followers of Jesus, to those that would say they have devoted their lives to Christ. I wonder if you've ever had a moment where you've just said, look, why bother? I wonder if in the Christian life you've been looking at what is that you are called to do, that the life that you're reading and the, the, the journey that Jesus has for you, that he will walk with you, the straight and narrow, I wonder if you've, you've ever thought, is it really worth it? This is a drain more than it is a joy. So I wonder if you have asked him that of yourselves. It's certainly something I've asked of myself in my journey with Jesus. So I'm really glad today that we get to open up to this passage in 1 Peter for me, but also for you, if you've asked that question before in your life, why bother? Is it really worth it? See, it's really good that we're in this passage now, uh, written from 1 Peter, because the, actually the historical circumstances that, what, that Peter is writing to here is he's writing to churches spread out across the land. Now, even before we get to what it is that he says and understand the context that they're in, the reason why these churches are spread out across the land is because of persecution. The early church had formed together and, you know, they they started up a few rosters, you know, they started figuring things out. They had the first ever hospitality roster. You know, the lead pastors were just like, oh, gee, it's just hard. We need to have a hospitality roster. And they took on Stephen. They said to the church, who would you like to lead the hospitality team? And Stephen's like, yeah, I'll do it. And they're like, yeah, Stephen's good. And Stephen, you know, he started off in that way. But then it wasn't that long until Stephen was killed because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that raw persecution, the church scattered. 
It's actually a beautiful thing when you look at it in the plan of God that this persecution actually led to the furthering of God's word going out because wherever people were scattered to, they took the gospel with them to the people that they got to meet. But did it get any better for the early church, for those in that time? Well, we read here in 1 Peter, and as we understand the historical circumstances of who he writes to, it doesn't get any better. Peter himself, it's often been thought of as 1 and 2 Peter are like his parting words to his Christian brothers and sisters as he waits on death row to be crucified upside down. The upside down bit, that was Peter's idea. He said, I don't, I don't deserve the same death as my Lord and Saviour Jesus, so just crucify me upside down. Man, did he have a big set of cones. <laughs> but Peter writes to churches and Christians that are being persecuted, that are suffering, that are misunderstood, that are mistreated by the government, by the people around them. Because to be a Christian back in that day of the early church, they were living in a time where there was a plethora of gods to choose from. And the Romans, they liked to sort of hedge their bets. You know, they would conquer nations and take on their gods and say, hey, look, we've got a few gods now. That'll win us the wars. But then the Christians came along and they were like, hey, look, we have the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the living God who made the heavens and the earth. There is one God. And during that time of the early church, the Romans didn't like that. There was actually this guy named Nero who came up a little bit later. Now, he was a massive jerk. He used to have garden parties, and the way that he would illuminate those garden parties wasn't with floodlights, it was firelights. The bodies of Christians that were dipped in oil and burned in these garden parties as humour and as a way of saying, hey, look, we've got more control over you. Christians in that day, they were being thrown to lions. They were being made a mockery of. They were in the Colosseum. They were sport. Nero would start fires and cause destruction and blame the Christians. The Christians at this time were also being called cannibals. They would gather together in homes. They would share the Lord's Supper and they would talk and they would be saying on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Be thankful. And this word got out, Chinese whispers. I'm like, oh, have you heard about those Christians? They're like eating Jesus. They're eating Jesus. These Christians. And so Peter writes to these Christians scattered throughout the country. He writes to them a word of encouragement. He writes to them into their circumstances. And he says to them, he says, look, guys, although the foundation of this faith that you have to the rest of the world, it looks worthless and weak. Today, God wants to remind you that actually you're living for God, you're living in the, follow, in the footsteps of Christ is significant and it is strong. Peter writes in the section that we look at today, he says, don't let the temporary critics of this earth talk you out of the transcendent call you have from God for all of eternity. He, want to get, he wants to get their eyes off what is happening right here and right now and to look up and to go, this is where, what we're heading towards. This is what you need to hear. I wonder if this is a passage for you today. We open up in our passage of 1 Peter 2, verses halfway through verse 3 and into verse 4. 
Peter writes, building on what he's just been saying in terms of talking and articulating to the church that they are the family of God. We heard that wonderfully from Joash last week. I recommend go catch up, uh, listen to the podcast, watch the sermon. It was really helpful to understand where we are today. And Peter says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So, hey, look, if you know that God is awesome, that He has saved you from sin, that He's called you and He's brought you into His family and you now have a new identity. If you know that and if you've tasted that and know that it's a good thing, not a worthless thing, He says, as you come to Him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. As you come to Him. If you are the children of God, you are going to abide in Christ. The language here that Peter uses of coming to Jesus is it's, it's, it's dripping with this intimacy, this abiding, personal, relational fellowship. It's not just a dipping the toe in and then coming back out. It's just us going out when I need something and then coming back out when, you know, so waiting till life gets bad and then I go get a little bit of Jesus and then come back out and just to sort myself out. This is as you come to Him, it's an abiding, personal fellowship, a giving of everything and an ongoing connection with Him in beautiful, divine communion. As you come to him, and now Peter builds on the logic of his thoughts, and he's talked about being in God's family, and he says being in God's family means that there's a behaviour that you'll live in light of that, and it's a behaviour that finds its its base in a wonderful privilege of who you now are and actually the pride of being able to live out in that way. You're now in the family of God. You've got a family identity. So now I want to talk to you about the family business. And the first thing that he wants to really lean onto and for us to see in the family business is he talks about how those in God's family, they are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, a holy priesthood. So I want us to think about what it means when Peter is saying, what does it mean to be a priest? He's using this priest-like language. Well, if you do a little biblical theology or just trace your way through the Jesus book as to what is a priest and what does he do, the identity of a priest, the priests in the Old Testament, they were called um, after one, they were called after a very unlikely Things that they've been doing, you're like, I wouldn't have called them. God, I don't know what your plan is, but why have you called these guys? Okay, the priests get called after the, uh, the golden calf incident. If you wanted to sum up the golden calf incident, it's God's people screwed up. God liberated them out of the land of Egypt with miraculous power and authority. And then Moses is like, just wait here, guys. I'm just going to go chat to God and then come back and let you know what's next. And within that short period, they're just like, huh. We need to worship something. Hmm, let's take our golden earrings and make a calf and worship that and pretend that that's what liberated us out of Egypt. The priests, they're chosen from an unlikely crew, from the least of people. But then we see the role of the priests. They're called to avenge the honour of the Lord by dispatching those that reject him. That happens in Exodus. The priests are called in the helping of building the tabernacle, the place where people would go to meet God, to offer sacrifice and praise to God. The priests in the Old Testament, we see they are called to live around 
the tabernacle and to guard the tabernacle, the meeting place of God. The priests in their role, they are cleansed from sin before they start their service. They have the washing, the sin offering, the burnt offering, the wave offering. The priests also enjoy one of the amazing privileges of being anointed and empowered by God for their role. They get to go where no one else can go, the most holy place once a year to visit God. The priests, the priests in the Old Testament, they also have hearts and minds prepared for action. There was actually a little, you know, solitary retreat for the priests before they went and started their service. And in that time, they're thinking about that they are being called to obedience. They are called to walk with God. They are called to impact the world around them, to show the world what it looks like, to be living towards God. The priests are also messengers of God, messengers of God. The priests are also called to act as a buffer to protect the people from the wrath of God. Priests are clothed by God. They're called to be bearers of the needs of the people before God. And the priests are called to declare the will of God to all the people. And 1 Peter opens this section by saying, you're part of the family. You're also in royal priesthood. That job description comes to us as followers of Jesus. And just as the priests back in the Old Testament the only way that they were entering into that role of one wonderful and magnificent and privileged responsibility, the only way they get in is if they get the call from God. See, to be a priest, you've got to be called. God qualifies us to share in the inheritance of the saints. We are brought near to dwell in his courts in the holiness of his temple by God. As it says in Ephesians 2, by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you have been called into the family to become a priest in your service of God. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. No one's boasting in what they've done to get into the priesthood. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for who knows it? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The family business is one of priests. And so what is then the exact functions of the priests? Well, we go back to, let's have a look at the Old Testament to start with. The Old Testament priests, they had a few sacrifices that they had to offer, didn't they, when the priestly thing started? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. There's no such thing as a good life until you know the author of life. <laughs> Sorry, just, to, just leaving some breadcrumbs. The Old Testament sacrifices that we saw from the priests, the first one they would be often leaving, burnt offering. Burnt offering is for sin. Next one, grain offering in devotion to God. Peace offering, thankfulness to God. Sin offering, a combo combo offering, one, of, one, of, one for sin and for thankfulness, and then the guilt offering, the offering for those sins that have been knowingly committed. <clears throat> those are the offerings of the priests of the Old Testament. Those are the offerings that the priests would be doing. Aaron, the Levites in the tabernacle, they're doing these offerings. 
doing it in the tabernacle that they've constructed under the instruction of God. They are standing in the gap between man and God with these sacrifices. They are making a way for God's people to posture themselves in a place of repentance, prayer and praise through these sacrifices, aren't they? But remember, there's, a, there's, there's one step before we get from the priests back then to our priestly call now. There's the great high priest in the middle, isn't there? There's another priest that comes onto the scene, the great high priest. What's his name? His name is Jesus Christ, son of the most high God. And he's not just any priest, the great high priest. He doesn't construct the tabernacle or temple. He is the temple of God with us. Jesus, in an even better way, he stands in the gap and intercedes for us. And he makes the most perfect way to God to posture us and all the people of this world in a place of repentance, prayer and praise. Except what Jesus does is it's not an ongoing work. It's not something he has to keep doing. Something he's done once for all, isn't it? The perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ by his own blood. And so we think about what is our priestly call today in being the family of God, living out the business of God's people. Well, we walk in the lineage of what the priests walk in, except there's a few sacrifices that now we can go without, isn't there? What's left in the list of sacrifices for us priests of today? It's only the praise and thankfulness sacrifices, isn't it? Sin, Guilt atoned for with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So Peter opens his letter, isn't it? For the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. That work is done. Access has been granted. And Peter now calls his people, he calls God's people, he calls Christians to a life of repentance and faith that is filled in a longing to follow Jesus in a sacrificial life. Just as Jesus led a sacrificial life, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we see this build, Aaron and the priests, us, Jesus, to then us as priests. We are now entrusted with the ongoing Work of God, for the glory of God. It's for Him. It's for His plays. It's for His honour. It's for His glory. It's the praise and thankfulness sacrifices. So what does that look like exactly? Kind of skate around, giving a big picture view. What does that look like? What does living like a priest today look like for you and me? Well, if you want a pretty good example of what it looks like to live like a priest, I've got some really good reading for you. The Bible. So that you may walk in the footsteps and journey with the great high priest who does not leave you or forsake you, Jesus Christ, who has given you his spirit to walk in those good works that he has prepared in advance for you to do. As priests, we get to look like and imitate and follow in the footsteps of our great high priest, Jesus. We abide in him. We build our lives on him and his teaching. We look to his personhood and his work and we go, that is what we're meant to be doing. That is how we're meant to live. 
And as we build our lives on Christ, we are being built up to be the spiritual temple to represent Christ, to sacrifice, to make sacrifices to God through Christ. Spiritual sacrifices. I said we get specific. What are some of the things that we're doing specifically as priests to represent God and to, to be the standing in the gap between the world and us and God? Well, the sacrifices now, we're not killing bulls. We're not throwing grain. We're not doing all those things. Making spiritual sacrifices. If we just want to go straight out of the Word of God, we can go to Romans 12, 1 to 2. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know what's hard about a living sacrifice? It keeps crawling off the altar. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Be holy as God is holy, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable and perfect. That's a priestly life. What about Psalm 51? Gives us some clues into the sacrificial life that we're to live as priests before God. It says, talking to God, you do not delight in sacrifices. You do not delight in sacrifice or I'd bring it, physical, bull, goat, ram, sacrifice. You take no pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Makes me think, you know what the first sacrifice is into entry into the priesthood? It's a broken heart, isn't it? It's the repentant heart. It's the one that says the only way that I'm getting into this thing is if God accepts me, he washes me, he cleanses me, he robes me, he invites me. It's the only way we're getting in. Hebrews 13 talks about another sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise. Praise. Sacrifice of not neglecting to do good or to share says there, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Do good, share for the glory of God, and God is pleased. Proverbs 21, to do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than a sacrifice. Context there is, again, the bull, goat, ram, sacrifice. To do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. Righteousness and justice. What does that look like? Have a look at Jesus. Those are the verses. If we draw it out, what does it look like practically? It means all your human faculties, your heart, your soul, your mind, your ambitions, your possessions, your ears, your eyes, your sexuality, your hospitality, what you say, watch, admire, where you go, all about how you live. That is how you can sacrifice to God and love and praise Him this week in thanksgiving and praise all of those aspects of your life. Our worship, our praise, our prayer, our stuff, our things, our time. These can all be dedicated to God in a posture of thanksgiving and praise. If you're someone devoted to Jesus, you're a priest like Jesus. But maybe you're thinking at this point, you know what, Louis, don't feel very priestly right now not feeling very priestly. You know, surely I'm going to have to float around, have an aura, have a halo on my head, wear a big white gown. Then, 
I'll feel real priestly and I can do all those things that you just talked about. There are times in my life where I don't often feel like a father or a husband. But do you know what gets me back into that gear? I remember the privilege. I remember the joy. I remember the responsibility that this is that God has called me to. And I remember that this is a personal call from God and that there is no one else that can serve them in the way that God has called me to serve them. It's something that I get to do and it's something that he strengthens me to do. So maybe right in the moment I don't feel it, but it is my identity. It's what he calls me to do. And as a priest in the family of God, maybe we don't always feel that priestly, but it is a privilege. It is incredible to spend our time saying thank you to God with our lives. More blessed it is to give than to receive. What blessing it must be to give back to God. But yes, we won't always feel very priestly. And Peter even acknowledges, he writes this letter because right now the whole world is looking at these Christians and it's going, <laughs> yeah, you look different. You look real different. Why are you doing that? Why do you spend your money in that way? Why did you just like just turn around and not punch that guy back in the face? Sorry, that was an old army experience. <laughs> the world will slander you. The world will revile you as you seek to live like a priest. And there will be days that will keep on asking, look, is it even worth it? Why bother? But Peter reminds his people of these two beautiful contrasts, doesn't he? He gives these two beautiful contrasts. He gets their eyes off their temporary circumstances and looks, gets them to look towards their transcendent call. He's asking them to stop considering what the world thinks and start remembering what God thinks and what he's called you to and the love that he's shown you. There's these contrasts. The world's perception of Christians, if you're a Christian, the world will look at you and will consider you evil at times. I can't believe this. My body, my choice. You evil Christians telling me what to do with my time and my money and my body. God looks at us and says it's a privilege. He's, he considers us honourable. The world would look at a Christian and go weak. They need a crutch. God looks at us in Christ and he considers us strong, a living stone. The world, it's, going, well, it be, it's very easy to reject the Christian. God looks at us and he goes, it's going to be awesome to beautifully restore this Christian. The world will look on at you and go, gee, you act so different, so weird, so different. We get the privilege of God looking at our lives as we live out our priestly call and God goes, gee, they're devoted. He turns to the angels, say, look, they're my kids. Look what they're doing. It's like in the book of Job. Love the book of Job. God allows Satan to just basically just wreck Job's life and Job just faithful through the whole thing. And then God gets to go to Satan. Huh? Huh? Look at Job living for me because he gets it. He gets it. Christians will look at us and will think, and they think that we have an offensive and a confusing message. But in fact, we have a comforting and inclusive Messiah. 
Do you know, church, that because of your adoption into God's family, you get to live with a new foundation? And as Peter says to persecuted Christians, he says to us today, don't let the temporary critics of this world talk you out of your transcendent call from God. Today, the world will look at us and see us as silly and weak. But on the last day, the world will see it as it really is. Honourable, sensible and strong. Now, we're used to this, aren't we? There's plenty of examples of this. You know, one perception of something being like, why are they doing that? And then later on, it's like, oh, yeah, I get it. Are there any athletes in the house? Any athletes? Who's looked at an athlete's diet, sleeping routine and training regime? You look at an athlete in the moment, in the short term, and you're like, you're nuts. But then every four years, everyone thinks they're amazing because they have a gold medal around their neck. It's just like, they're so amazing. What about a musician? You ever heard a musician practice? They're not always playing the song. They do like weird things like scales and like regressions. Is that a thing? Arpeggios? Yeah, they do stuff that I don't even know what the name of it is. It just sounds weird. But then when you get to hear them play the final song, man, that sounds good. What about farmers? Farmers have some interesting disciplines, interesting ways of doing life. What did you do today? Uh, yeah, I went and turned over the soil in my paddock. Wait, wait, wait. You told me you just, you just you took some soil and you turned it over. Yes, that's what I did today. What? You're just like turning soil over. Yeah. That's, okay, I don't get it. But then the end of the season, what do people see? The harvest. What about a soldier in the army? In the moment, people look at you and you go, you've got some very interesting disciplines and I do not know how that correlates to real life. But then they don't argue with you. The role of the priest is also the long game that we play. The role of the priest is also a long game that we play. It's our life lived in response because of God's love and as we proclaim the excellencies of me, of him, as, as we proclaim the excellencies of Jesus through what we do, we are publicising and advertising Jesus. We are mascots for God. And your life, as it looks more like the Son of God, sure, it will look a little crazy, but it has massive long-term gain that on the final day, all the critics will go, yeah, I should, yeah. Those guys lived a life of worth. So it shouldn't surprise us then of the metaphor that, G that Peter uses to describe the priesthood, doesn't it? He calls us living stones, living stones. A rock on its own, unimpressive, immobile. It has all the potential of a paperweight. But a living stone, that's something. Put them together, make a spiritual house out of those living stones, that is amazing. Is it any accident that Peter would call God's people a rock, a firm and solid building block for the praise of God? I don't think so. Is it any accident that he's seeing us as being built together into a spiritual house to offer those sacrifices 
amongst each other, the sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving with each other that the world looks in on and goes, I don't know what's going on there, but that's kind of interesting. Kind of reminds me of the tabernacle and the temple back in the Old Testament when I was reading that time. I watched that YouTube video. They won't say that, but hopefully that's where they feel. Do you remember that? Joash did a wonderful job. Tabernacle 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0. We come together as living stones to be the new tabernacle, to be the new temple. And where that tabernacle was the place where people would come to encounter God and praise Him and celebrate Him, us now as living stones come together to be the new temple, the new tabernacle, the new place of worship to praise and thank God. Is it any accident that most of the time people will encounter God, repent and believe when they come to church on a Sunday? I don't think so. That's why you plan a church to reach a community. A spiritual house made of living stones, the priests, a place to encounter God, a place to praise God, a place for the spiritual sacrifices. So two practical applications in thinking through this. Two, just two. You can't be a house on your own when you're a lonely brick. That's the logical one. God doesn't teach us that the normal Christian life is one of isolation. He can carry us through those times. He can still minister to us in those times, but it's not something that we should choose or opt into. Now, again, obviously, hey, we're preaching to converted, but we have a camera here. So I'm going to look straight down the barrel and say, if you're not here, right here, right now, experiencing what it means to be the spiritual house, get here. And know what it means to offer up a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Come and meet the Lord Jesus. Second application. As the people of God together to be the new temple and the living, the living stones that make up this spiritual house, we can be those, we can be a place where people can come to encounter God as we seek to live in a posture of, to borrow a quote from John Stockt, holy worldliness. Holy worldliness. To be a spiritual house means that we are always seeking to walk this fine line between the two extremes of being holy but also being in the world. Because you can go on either one of those extremes, can't you? There's churches, there's temples, there's spiritual houses where God's people are there and built up and they fall on the holy side of the category. And all they do is church on a Sunday and then the... 16 midweek ministries and then they have the small groups and the prayer nights and the men's night and the women's night and the holy night and the song night and the praise night and the, the, oh, we need to do something at this time as well and their calendar looks super righteous and they're living a very holy separate life. But we've got to remember that the temple was there. The priests also have a role so that people can see who God is and what he's doing and What the heck are you doing over there? Get out into the world. Holy worldliness. There's the ones on the holy end of the side. Then there's the other side, isn't there? 
We don't worry about this holiness stuff. We're just going to go straight for all the worldliness stuff. Yeah. Yeah, our church services, we need a smoke machine and we need lasers. When people come here, they want to think that we're cool and that we're hip and that the reason that we're here is it's so awesome and we're so, I get that motivational pump up and then on, during the week, yeah, we do all these awesome, crazy things. Come along, you win a free car. Oh yeah, how do you guys actually seek to live and follow and represent Jesus? Oh no, no, we're just cool. I mean, sorry. Uh, yes, we read the Bible. And we preach a few sermons, so yeah, come along. So there's two ends of the spectrum. And it's always a tightrope walk. You know, we're always trying to, for us as a church, how do we figure that out? But it's also a tightrope work, not only for the church, but also for us as individuals that seek to be a part of that church, isn't it? We can live a completely recluse life and never talk to anyone that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or we can live a completely worldly life and we don't look any different to the rest of the world and we just fit in. And there's no glory in that. There's no privilege in that. There's no honour in that. Not for God anyway. Nothing lasting, nothing eternal. Now we've talked about being priests. We've talked about being priests that are living stones that make up the house. And we've talked about that our life is to be one of praise and thanksgiving. That is the sacrifices that we're giving to God, okay? But we have to look at also how Peter injects and reminds them of the fuel for the fire for this type of life, don't we? Because right now, if we stop right here, I've tried, we've, tried to, we've tried to nuance it well, but you might just leave today thinking, oh, well, you know, this is just what we're called to do. We have to do this stuff. Peter makes his appeal to be doing this stuff out of the privilege and the honour and the joy and the amazement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The very fact that, any, that we have been chosen in the first place is astounding and why would we not want to praise and thank and live for God? He brings it home in these last few verses. Chosen race, royal priesthood, a people of his own possession. Once not receive mercy, now receive mercy. Once not a people. Whoa. It's my microphone, it's not a spider. That was scary. What happened to you at church today? I was. Don't look at my tummy. There goes my notes. All right, let's take our time with this bit. Devil doesn't want you to hear the gospel today. All right. Peter goes, You'll ask in your temporary circumstances, why bother? Is it even worth it? And he's like, get your face out of the dirt and what's happening around you and get your head back into the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you've come from darkness into God's glorious light. He said, you've gone from punishment, punishment from God to praise to God. There's been a great exchange. Once a sinner, clothed, robed, forgiven, now a saint because of the work of Jesus Christ, a free gift. You were once a people who were rejected. Now you're a people who are accepted. You were once living a pointless, meaningless, shallow, rubbish life. And now you get to be called into an eternal praise purposed life. Once you are standing underneath God's judgment for all the wrong and sin and evil that you've done. I'm going to include all of us in that statement because I know it. I know I've been there. 
But the gospel means that we get tra- be transferred into God's kingdom and one day we'll sit side by side with God and be judges with God. We go from being beggars to being beneficiaries of God. We go from being paupers in this world to being priests of the living God. We go from being sinners to being seen as saints. We go from being souls that are just the walking dead to souls with eternal life. We go from a a life of hatefulness and mockery and envy and slander and shame to a life of holiness, following in the footsteps of Jesus. Because of the gospel, God transforms our hearts and our minds and we go from living a life where we love all that's wrong to living a life where we love all that's right. And it's a free gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast. It's incredible that any of us, any of us, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one that does good. There's no one that seeks God. All have turned away. And God is just like, yeah, but I really, really love you. Really love you. And I'm willing to send my one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And that is worth praising God for. That is worth thanking God for. That is worth saying sorry for the life that we've once lived so that we can follow after God. The gospel is what inspires and energizes us to live for the glory of God. Nothing else. Now, as I close, it's worth saying to those of you that aren't in the family, that you wouldn't consider yourself a priest in the kingdom of God, you wouldn't know Jesus as best friend, saviour, big brother and treasure. Maybe you're here today and you're wondering, you know what? I'm done with this world. I'm done with all of its mess. And you know what? God's way, his life of light, life, mercy, forgiveness and grace, one of privilege, honour and praise, the forgiveness of my sin, you know what? That seems really appealing. If that's you today, you can know that today is the day of salvation. You can come to God and in the words of Jesus, you can be born again of water and by spirit. Today can be the day that you confess with your heart Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and be transformed, transferred from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. If that's you today and you want to be part of this family, in the family business, come and see me afterwards. Come and chat to Joash afterwards. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love for you to just at least feel willing to, to take an extra step towards the life that God calls you to. For the rest of us, what do we hold on to today? What are you going to do? I just would love to think, if, think, I would love for you to think about how this week you can continue to be a mascot and an advertisement for God in the priestly life that you live. Just take one step. What I want you to think, I want you to remember that the perception of this world means nothing when you have the loving perception of God. And what I want you to feel, I want you to feel reassured. I want you to feel reassured. In the times where you feel like, ah, do I even bother? Is it even worth it? I want you to be reassured because God's in control of it all. God's got your back. The good works that he's prepared are there. He's prepared them in advance for you to walk in. Just keep taking steps, journeying with Jesus, looking to him, and to be a priest that lives with integrity, 
so that God receives the glory for all that he's done in your life and for all that he wants to show off through your life. Let me pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. I pray for each person here, including myself, help us to be people that live as the kingdom of priests and the living stones that you have, you have created us to be. Would our lives be the light that draws people to you and that also helps refine one another. Help us in this, we pray, by the work of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.